Welcome to Healthy Brain, Happy Body, a podcast from the Northeast Region Biofeedback Society. I'm Dr. Saul Rosenthal, a health psychologist in the Boston area, and your host as we investigate the incredible connections between brain and body. Our guide today is Dr. Linda Walker, who's been working as a helping professional since the mid-1990s. She has a broad range of clinical interests and expertise, including juvenile justice, developmental disabilities, community and private practice, corporate health, and wilderness therapy. In the applied psychophysiology world, she is well known as a master clinician, teacher, mentor, presenter, researcher, and software designer. I talked with her about the many different ways that somebody diagnosed with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder might present, and tailoring our interventions for particular symptoms. Linda, welcome to Healthy Brain, Happy Body. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So you have a really interesting background and, and a broad range of expertise. W- would you talk a little bit about your journey to applied psychophysiology? What, what draws you to this approach? So I, you know, I started out in, as a mental health therapist, uh, you know, just as a counselor working in, in community mental health and really saw over and over within that career problems that, and challenges that people had that just weren't getting addressed by the mental health system. Medication and counseling, behavioral therapies, just not enough. So I found myself working with juvenile delinquents. And I love, it's probably the best thing I've ever done in my life. But also the most challenging population. So these kids had had every single therapy in the book and just about, they were walking medication experiments. And they weren't getting better. And by the time they saw me at 16 and 17, if things didn't turn around quickly, they were heading for the adult prison system. And that seemed like a really terrible outcome for such a young life. So the, the program I was in got a grant uh, to purchase neurofeedback equipment and train and certify clinicians. And I was one of the first people that kind of walked through the door and said, hey, I really want to do this. Uh, so that, that was how I, I, I came to you know, start in this field. Long story short, that program, uh, unfortunately, was truncated with the economic downturn. But before, uh, before you know, everything went to, you know, uh, economically went downhill, we were able to create a vibrant program in which uh, more than half of the kids in the residential treatment program were receiving neurofeedback, biofeedback services in addition to uh, their, their wraparound services that they were receiving. Uh, the number of restraints that we did in the program, these were violent kids. This was a maximum security treatment facility. Uh, though our kids uh, became more violent and we, became, we got more violent offenders, the number of restraints due to behavioral outbursts and, and behavior being out of control reduced. Kids were making honor roll in school who thought they couldn't learn. Medication use was reducing as well. So it was really an exciting time to be able to put that together and uh, be able to see kids who had different possibilities. After that, subsequently, I moved out into private practice and continued to use this. Uh, My group of individuals that I worked with extended from people who had ADHD and learning concerns to people who had optimal performance uh, needs or people who had chronic pain or chronic illness. So I was able to really kind of apply this to even a, a larger group of individuals. It's been a, it's been a very rewarding journey. It is. It's such, such an exciting 
experience you had. And I, I, I could actually talk with you a lot about the juvenile work you've done because that's just something we just need that. But we actually need to talk a little bit about your webinar. You're giving it on August 18th to the uh, NRBS. And you're going to be presenting a webinar focused on multimodal approaches to attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Uh, ADHD is—it's a very obviously it's a really common diagnosis, uh, and certainly one for which neurofeedback is—it's been shown time and time again to be really effective. But it's not a diagnosis that presents the same way across people. Would you talk a little bit about some of the different ways that ADHD shows itself? You know, it's uh, a lot of a lot of what I learned about ADHD came from working with the kids I was just talking about. Um, you know, you have people who have different learning styles, uh, different levels of creativity, different other things that are presenting with ADHD. Um, we know that ADHD alone is is you know typically you have someone walk in the door and they say, "I have ADHD," and you start kind of teasing that apart, and it's like, "Well, I have ADHD, and I'm also incredibly anxious." Or you know, Johnny's a little OCD, or um, yeah, I don't think I have ADHD at all, but everyone around me tells me I have ADHD. All of those are different presentations, and um, they respond differently to treatment, particularly those individuals who you see come in, and they, have, they, 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 they endorse ADHD, but they also endorse a lot of anxiety or a lot of you know, just having an incredibly busy brain versus those individuals who are really kind of off on the rabbit trail and checked out and, and really just can't track um, with their attention, those present psychophysiologically, neurophysiologically, often those individuals present very differently. Um, that person who has a busy brain and, and, a, and a ton of, of beta rhythm going on versus that person who has a, maybe a little bit of a more of a sluggish uh, attention span and a lot of theta. Okay, so you have that difference from, from the start, but then you have all of the other things that are coming in uh, with that person through the door in their lifestyle. Uh, you can't just treat the ADHD. You've got to treat and understand the other issues as well. And then let's, let's talk about the artist. You know, I've, I, the person who comes in the door, hey, I, I'm, I create amazing artwork, but my family says I'm just kind of off on a rabbit trail. Well, okay, we want you to keep the creativity but somehow we've got to help you shift in focus uh, during those those times and situations when you need to. So there's a lot. There are a lot of differences with ADHD. They're not the same disorder, and often I think that that ADHD is kind of a bucket diagnosis that uh, we should maybe step away from and start to understand the person a little bit better. But I think then you're talking about personalized medicine. So a bit of my talk, I think, will will really kind of touch on the idea that we've got to step out of those diagnostic buckets and see and understand the person. And you, you, you are at least allu alluding to the idea that uh, somebody can come in with the same diagnosis, ADHD, and show even just different EEG patterns. Uh, and you talk about some could be high beta, some could be high theta. Some could be both, probably. Could you talk a, a little bit about some of the uh, EEG or psychophysiological patterns that show up? A, a lot of the, the people listening to this would be clinicians or at least people interested in neuro and biofeedback. So I'm, I'm curious about the differences that show up with this bucket diagnosis. Yeah, so you'll get some individuals who walk through the door, and their, their main finding in the EEG is 
a tremendous amount of, of beta and high beta activity, particularly along the midline, the cingulate, which is kind of our gear shifter. So it's not that they, yes, they, can't, they, they experience inability to pay attention, but their mind is racing so much that they can't lock on to those things uh, that they need to pay attention to. That's a little bit of a different person they have that. They they wear the diagnosis. That that's a little bit of a different person who may come in with with slower content. And when I say slower content in the EEG, that could be anywhere. That could fall anywhere within the delta band, all the way up into the, the alpha band. So you know, any of that slower activity and where it could be in the frontal areas, it could be in the parietal areas. You know the attention network, the dorsal and ventral attention network. Um, is a far-reaching, far-ranging network. So you've really got to look along that network to what's broken and where. It's, it's not one spot. Obviously and clearly, we know the frontal lobe is, is kind of the seat of executive function. It makes a whole lot of sense to look there, for it, but that might not be the only area where those attention breakdowns are, are occurring or the, the breakdowns are occurring that are creating the, attention, the experience of an attention problem. So being able to evaluate is huge. Do you have to have a QEG? I love a QEG, but I am not going to tell every single person that who, who wants to do neurofeedback, yes, you've got to go buy a QEG amplifier and, and get trained. I think there are, are, are ways to assess and evaluate uh, and, and start to understand neurophysiology very, very well that if you don't or don't have the means to use QEG, then we can figure out other ways to make it work. And you can work with other people to um, help with your evaluation. Those patterns really, I have to say, I'm, I'm stealing pages from Jay Gunkelman's playbook. And, you know, he, he was a huge influence and has been a huge influence uh, in terms of understanding those, those patterns that we're talking about right now. So I have to give credit where credit's due. You're, you're talking about different ways that ADHD presents and at least in my experience, when someone comes into my practice with ADHD, it's it's very often because they've tried the typical medications and they're not working, which would suggest that they'd have one of these patterns that's not super common. So it may not be the sort of th high theta beta ratio frontally, things like that. So g given this variety of presentation, what are some of the uh, approaches that work as interventions? Obviously, you're going to talk a lot about that in, 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 in the webinar. But I wonder if you could talk a little bit about some of the interventions that seem to work uh, with, with this varied condition. I think um, ADHD responds best to more than one approach. And so it, it's good to have tools in your bag when you're working with ADHD. It's not just going to be a neurofeedback approach, although that can be a, you know, a backbone approach. Um, it may, it may be medication. Um, I find that there are a number of approaches that I would use before, uh, you know, medication, I think is a conversation on the table. Um, neurofeedback for sure. Stimulation approaches. So audiovisual entrainment is a wonderful accompaniment. Sometimes uh, infrared uh, therapy uh, can be a, a, a great accompaniment. You're putting basically fuel in the tank and then using neurofeedback to uh, 
uh, be able to kind of drive and help people learn that approach. With STEM therapies such as ABE, TDCS, you know, you're pushing the brain into or helping the brain push itself into a, a state and using neurofeedback then to help the person learn that behavior. Uh, you know, those are psychophysiological approaches. Let's not take heart rate variability biofeedback off the table. And really working with a vagal response. If you have someone with an incredibly busy brain, uh, then that approach can really help people vaguely mediate so they can slow their sympathetic drive down enough to pay attention. So the, all of those are, are excellent approaches. But let's not forget teaching people how to, how to learn or listen, particularly kids. So I do a lot, uh, particularly with college kids, high school kids, you know, people who are really struggling with trying to attend to a lecture uh, using some of my neurofeedback approaches and tailoring them to help people learn and practice that. So then we're talking about learning approaches uh, as well as the, psych the standard psychophysiological approaches. And, you know, I feel like I sound often like a broken record to my clients and people I mentor, but, hey, let us not forget about lifestyle. Uh, if sleep and diet and exercise are not in order, it's not realistic to take a pill. It's not realistic to take neurofeedback therapies and expect those to fix the problem. So we have to assess the person for their overall health. And I hate to deliver the message, but yeah, you've got to work at this. <laughs> right. And that's, that's of course, part of, part of the appeal of medication is you don't have to work at that. Well, we think it's part of the appeal of medication, but I think that what we end up doing is down the road coming in and go, well, that's not really working either. And, and part of that is, yeah, it may help, it may, it may help get you out of a rut, but once you're out of that rut, you still have to do the work. And it just doesn't have to be terrible work. I think part of, of what we do with our clients is say, hey, th these are the efforts you have to make. This doesn't have to be unpleasant. How do we make these things exciting and pleasant? Exercise, great. Find, find a sport or a movement activity that you love and do it. Uh, it doesn't have to be going to the gym and sweating. Uh, if, if it's just going out and taking a walk, that's so much better than nothing. So I think that's part of what we have to do as well is make, make these changes appealing and make them accessible. When you are thinking about uh, intervention plans, uh, how, how do you connect the interventions you want to use with the psychophysiological or the EEG profile? Are there certain patterns that avail themselves to better uh, response to certain interventions? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's going back to you know that that the phenotype approach, and I will and and also uh, you know I, I think about the work of Michael and Linda Thompson and you know, some of their approaches as well. It's looking at the person. You know, is this a learning need? Okay, well, if, if there are learning needs involved with the EEG, or in addition to what I find in the EEG, then that's going to, to point to some educational approaches. Um, certainly, the high beta sympathetic drive patterns are going to avail themselves to neurofeedback plus biofeedback, for sure. Lifestyle issues, in addition to the EEG pattern are going to avail themselves to 
other approaches. I think of the kids who come in who are all over the place, have an EEG presentation that um, looks like, yeah, you would, you would have attention problems. Maybe they have, um, you know, really elevated thetas and alphas, but they also have a chaotic lifestyle. Maybe there are things going on and, and, and traumatic events going on in their lives that, that need to be settled down as well. So it's an EEG approach, but it's also an approach of what else is happening here? How do you experience what your, what, what your brain looks like? How does what I see in that EEG match what your, what your world is? And that goes beyond saying, okay, I have this experience, therefore I'm going to train at X location. Or I have this experience and, and here's the big red blob on the map. It's really about teasing some of this out a little beyond the red blob or um, the approach that says this, inter- this, this protocol should work with, with what, you're, what you're experiencing. It's, it's peeling those layers back a little bit further and understanding how personally that, 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 that person encounters their, their physiology. I'm also curious about, and again, this is something you, you brought up before, is, is kind of getting buy-in in, in convincing the clients, particularly if they're young people, that they need to do lifestyle changes, which of course is is a challenge in the best of circumstances, uh, but that they have to do the work. You know, if I'm on Adderall, I take it once or twice a day, and that's treatment. That's typical treatment for ADHD. But what we're really asking is more of a holistic or a whole health approach. How do you get your teen, particularly teenagers, and if I can overgeneralize teenage boys, how do you get them to sort of buy into this? You know, first of all, it's finding whatever their passion is and figuring that out. It's a little bit more complicated if it's, you know, if it's, uh, and it is these days, you know, if it's playing D&D, you know, online with your buddies, right? That's a little bit, that's a little bit more challenging. If I can find a sports buy-in, that's phenomenal. Hey, you like to play basketball, huh? You know, I know that we're here to deal with your ADHD because, you know, you're, you're struggling in school and your parents are really not happy with you. But I got to tell you, this is going to, this, this stuff will help your basketball game too. You know, so sometimes it's finding those buy-ins. What, what matters most to you and how can this have carryover for, for what's on your agenda, Right. The yeah, we're all we're all sucked into electronics these days. So it's it's really kind of helping find that okay, you know, you're absorbed, you're super absorbed in you know in your electronics. Understand that if you walk out of the house and get some sunlight exposure, that mood problem, that depression that you're dealing with, may start to feel a little bit better. And sometimes it's it's hey okay, give me 30 days. Give me 30 days to just try this. This doesn't have to be the rest of your life, but just give me 30 days and let's see how you feel. And if I can even get buy-in for uh, just those temporary pieces of it, and people then start to see, yeah, I I am doing a little bit better. This does feel better. Then Then I can start to build on that. And sometimes it's a very, very incremented approach. Sometimes it's, okay, well, I see that you're not going to do that, but you're going to come in here and do the work with me, and you're already committed to that, 
and I know that you don't want to waste your time with me. These extra little things, and you know, I, I just keep talking about it over and over and over. You know, the the voice would come in, hey, did you practice your breathing? Yes, Dr. Walker. You know, they roll their eyes. But eventually, if you keep planting those seeds, you'll hear one of these days, hey, you know that take a breather thing that you you taught me about? Oh my God, I tried that the other day and I I was able to use it and I didn't get suspended. Okay, good. But you have to be prepared to, particularly with teenage boys and, well, with, with adolescents in general, to, to say it over and over and, and realize that even though you don't get by on the first time or, or maybe the fifth time that eventually down the road, <laughs> uh, if you keep trying, persistence. Yeah, and I, and I guess as you're, as you're talking, it occurs to me that's, that's in some ways one of the advantages of doing neural feedback is we have to see them a lot. And I find, and I imagine this is true uh, with you, I mean, I find that I, I'm doing this sort of, quote, psychotherapy piece as I'm putting the sensors onto, you know, onto their heads, and that's it. So it's like, you know, 55 seconds of, of that sometimes. Oh, big time. Yeah, and I, 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 in my approach, I usually do runs of two to three minutes of, of neurofeedback, take a break. And guess what those breaks I'm sandwiching in the psychotherapy? I have kids coming up all the time. I'll do neurofeedback, but I am not going to do counseling. I don't, you know, I don't want that. I've done that, or I'm just not open to that. But yeah, those 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 55 seconds of, of psychotherapy that you sandwich in, it's amazing uh, what you can get. In. And yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a real challenge to us providers to have to do this. You know, I think about you know a lot of people providing neurofeedback are really providing it through uh, like a real training model. And so they may be using techs who aren't trained in psychotherapy uh, and how to provide this sort of more holistic and, you know, I think you're arguing, and I would agree, of course, effective approach is, is a real challenge when this is so resource intensive. It is. I mean, I think the ideal, real, truly ideally, is it's integrate everything. And, and I, I get there's... It's, it's a difficult place that we are in our world in mental health, um, you know, to really, as an office, as a vibrant office, to sometimes even break, break even before you use this. Um, but even if you do, I think there's something to be said for, okay, have your tech run the session, but you come in for the check-in and the check-out. You be the one to put the electrodes on and, and have that piece. You, you be the one to come in and, you know, do, do the checkout, do, do the closure. So there, I think there are ways that even, even in a larger kind of mech machinery of, of therapy that we can still try to build some of this. And I've seen techs who aren't psychotherapy trained, but, you know, do a phenomenal job and, and, and really work with the clinicians to have some good, some good therapy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely true. And this also makes me think about healthcare providers in general. You're, you're preaching a bit to the converted. Um, <laughs> yeah, of course. I, know. I hear you. But when we think about ADHD, and I, and I think, you know, if providers are honest, they'll realize they're treating something that is not a condition. You know, they're, they're prescribing Adderall or behavioral approaches if, <laughs> in good circumstances. But it's when you, when you consider both time and uh, financial costs, it's much cheaper and quicker 
and may be effective to prescribe medications versus behavioral approaches or including psychophysiology. So how do, how do we convince our colleagues in, in other healthcare areas who are really seeing the vast majority of these patients? How do we convince them to uh, send more of them our way? Yeah, the, the, the cost approach is, is a tough one. I mean, if we peeled insurance out of the, the equation and we took the cost of the pill versus the cost of psychotherapy and neurofeedback, particularly over long time, you take a pill, the symptoms go away, but, but the symptoms come back when, when the pill wears off. Whereas the neurofeedback behavioral approach, and, and you, I say both of those in, in the same sentence because I think they, they do go well together, you have a hope of remediation to a point that people, A, change their neurophysiology, and then B, learn how to manage their behavior in a way that, that causes them not to need the medication. I think if you look at a cost basis, peel away the insurance, and just look at the dollars from, from one intervention to another, the neurofeedback psychotherapy approach does win. However, that's not our world right now. And we do have you know, we do have the, the, the insurance, you know, hey, I've got health insurance. This is what they pay for. They don't pay for neurofeedback or psychotherapy. They do pay for the pill. That's one problem. The second problem, though, is other providers. Um, and I think that it's really one of those things where none of us as providers do it all. And if we want the most efficacious intervention for our client, we want the best well-being for them, then we need to look outside of that one-trick pony, uh, you know, one-size-fits-all intervention. That's going to mean if you're a prescriber saying, okay, let's try some psychophysiological therapies to surround what you're doing. here. Honestly, those prescribers with whom I work who do really the best work acknowledge that the chemical approach, because of its long-term effects, because of its side effects, is, is an excellent approach maybe to get someone stable, but then beyond stability, existing on medication for the rest of your life is not an ideal option. The prescribers who have that mindset, I think, are those that we need to approach to, to really encourage using those other therapies. The prescribers that don't have that mindset, we need to keep planting the seeds and helping people see the added well-being that people can have with our psychophysiological approaches when added to what they're doing. I think we're getting there. It's just a very, it's, it's, it is a slow journey. I mean, I, I said this 20 years ago, um, but I do feel encouraged, much more so. Yeah, I'm definitely finding that there's more knowledge among providers and more of them are at least giving this as an option, if not downright sending me people directly. And certainly uh, the patients, the clients, uh, more of them have heard of this. I think, you know, I, guess, I suppose we can thank the internet for that. Uh, yeah. So perhaps it may, maybe it is changing. Um, insurance, bec insurance continues to be a, a barrier, but we're working on that too, as, as you probably know. Yeah. Now, and, and I get a lot of people who are mentees or, or consultees say, Dr. So-and-so is sending me, you know, these are the people that I'm getting now. And so sometimes I, I have a handful of people who are getting pretty busy, which is 
you know, it's in small pockets of the U.S. And I think it's there's some regional uh, anomalies there. Um, but in small pockets of the U.S., I think that it is picking up steam. So I like to end these conversations with some one thing questions, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. What, what, what is one thing that our audience should take from this conversation? I think the one thing is we have a lot of wonderful assessment tools. Don't stop at the assessment tools. Be willing to peel that next layer off to understand the full picture of the person within your world. Now I'm going to ask you to violate that rule. <laughs> So if you if you were um, if you were stuck on a desert island okay. with somebody who had ADHD, what one intervention would you want to have with you? Ooh! And you you don't have to say neurofeedback. That is a tough one. Ooh! Ah, uh, stuck on a desert island with one intervention only. Oh, that's 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 brutal. <laughs> I have been called many things. Brutal is maybe the first time brutal, but I kind of like it. I think neurofeedback would be way up there, but I think uh, I still have to go down to sleep, food, or exercise. <laughs> so lifestyle. Lifestyle. That's a good. That's a good way. That's a good way of sneaking in more than one. Ah, see, I, it's it's so hard to do lifestyle. Yeah, uh, it's massive. Well, Linda, I really appreciate you joining us, and I'm really looking forward to your webinar. Thanks. I I appreciate that. Thanks for having me. You are listening to Healthy Brain, Happy Body. I'm your host, Dr. Saul Rosenthal. Our guide today was Dr. Linda Walker, who's presenting a webinar on August 18th about multimodal approaches to ADHD. Register by following the link in the show notes. Subscribe to the podcast by clicking the subscribe here link or wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe, rate us, and leave reviews at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Reviews help us get to more listeners, and that's more people who can learn about and benefit from biofeedback and neurofeedback. Also, let us know what you think by sending us email. Our address is healthybrain at nrbs.org. Healthy Brain, Happy Body is produced and edited by me. The theme music is Catch It by Coma Media. It is a production of the Northeast Region Biofeedback Society. Go to nrbs.org to find out more about the organization, including our trainings, monthly webinars, and yearly conference, which is going to be in October of this year. All opinions expressed are those of our guests and not the NRBS. This podcast is not meant to replace advice from qualified healthcare providers. Be sure to join us on our next episode as we continue to explore the keys to our well-being on Healthy Brain, Happy Body. Happy Body.